We were talking last week about the story that you have created for yourself and how that relates to the brands that you currently serve or you currently work for because they're your brands, but you're also filling work for the brands that hire you to do that work. So you got brand, 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 brand. It's almost like you get in this labyrinth of brand. If you think of a brand like that, it can become very easy to get lost. But that's why you need to create a brand story or have stories associated with your brand. Like the story you told about the carrier pigeon. Stories like that are stories other people now tell about you. And I don't think people understand what, you know, everybody talks about, you gotta be a storyteller and all that stuff, but they don't know what the stories are. And I guess this is a very long-winded way of saying you demonstrate the story that you are. Do you have other examples of clients that you've begun to engage with or have long engaged with that were like attracted not by being sold to by you, but by hearing your story from others? I would say majority of my parents, all my clients have come from those stories. They've all come from other people telling those stories and building those relationships like that. They know where I've come from. They know what my story is. I don't really get people who don't know that. They've been passed on from other people. Okay, well, let me ask you this. When they engage with you, and even if that engagement is just getting to know you to see if it's a good fit or not, what do they tell you is the reason they came to you? I think the fact that I'm a business owner for most of them, because I can relate to that they've got a business that actually sells them. It's like I'm on their side. I'm not just a creative who's living in creative world and dreaming and coming up with amazing things. I actually understand business. So when we start the conversation, that's important to them. If they're not making money, they can't pay me. So I'm really coming from that big picture direction. Like, okay, what's your business? What are you selling? You know, what is great about you? And that's how we build the brand. And when you said before, oh, how do you deal with different brands? It's like when it's a true story, it's not hard to remember. Ah, yep. Like when you know who the people are, like it's not hard for me to know. As soon as, you know, I've worked with them, I know their story. I know who they are. I've found out their values. And that was one of why I want to help teaching is what I've realized a lot of people don't actually know their own values. They don't know their own stories. Really, they haven't paid attention. They're so worried about other people's stories and looking, oh, I want to be like them. Look what they're doing. And they're the stories they want. And so they base their story on looking at other people instead of going, okay, what is actually my story? Who am I? What are my values? And, you know, the perception of self is what your brand is almost, I believe. If you don't believe it, how the hell are you going to sell it? How the hell is this going to work long term if it's not your truth? So that's what I've realized with a lot of people, especially who I've watched with personal branding. They're very self-unaware almost. They're living externally. And that is part of the failure because they haven't bothered to think, what are my values? Oh, my Lord, you're speaking my language. In fact, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know what I'm going to say next. Nonfiction brands know who they are so they can be it. And that's the thing. You have to know who you are. You have to be self-aware enough. And part of that self-awareness is not everyone's going to love me. That's why I need to find the people who will not only put up with me, but love me. And that's a subset of humanity in my case. I'm, I'm just speaking for myself here. 
For example, you kind of alluded to this, that you were referring to what I think of as influencer personal brands, you know, kind of the hot 20 year old in the bikini on the beach uh, with the makeup and the hair blowing exactly right. And then you see countless others try to copy that individual, call it the Kylie Jenner effect. You realize what they're trying to do is be a bad carbon copy of Kylie Jenner or Dua Lipa, whoever it is. And it's like, you'll never be them because they already occupy that position. And you will be nothing but a pale imitation of them. Why not instead be the completely true, completely you personal brand by figuring out what that brand is, like what's important to you? Like I had just been talking to you about, okay, so why do people come to you? Why do they say they come to you? What's, what's the first thing out of their mouths? And you kind of said... I came because I understand you're a business owner and you know what it means to run a business. I don't need a 24 year old who just came out of design school who may be fantastic, but has never done an annual report or doesn't understand what an annual report actually is meant to do. Instead, I'm willing to pay what you charge and have you become deeply enmeshed with my company and understand our story. And frankly, a whole bunch of intellectual property that we would never want our competitors to know. Because as a business owner, you know that intellectual property is the only thing that differentiates us from someone who does exactly what we do in a slightly different way. I have to get to know them. I have to get in their business and be part of it, know where they make the money, what do they like doing, what's easy for them to do. That's how you get success, not just by like, oh, I'll just sell that because the business owner said, I want to sell that. Yeah. I believe it's a big picture thing. Yeah. It's definitely branding is, it's big, you know, it's not advertising, it's not a logo, it's I believe from the beginning, your actions, that's why at the beginning, you don't need to spend loads of money because your brand is building as soon as you interact with the customer. You're starting that interaction and your brand, and that's the story they're going to tell. And they will see your brand by your interactions and your energy. Yeah. One of the tests or one of the questions I'll ask people when they, they're talking about how important is brand? I'll say something like, um, let's say that you have a salesperson on your team who's absolutely fantastic, has the highest numbers of anyone who sells what you're creating for people. Is it ever possible that your brand would tell you to fire that person to let them go? My answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. Because if that person is toxic, if that person is tearing apart your team, if that person is painting your brand, maybe they're making the short-term sale but losing the long-term relationship, yeah, you need to let that person go. And here in the United States, we have our own sports teams. I'm sure they're similar to those in Australia, where a team will hire a top player to come in and turn a losing team around. They pay a ton of money to that top player, and that top player can't turn the team around because they are toxic. Now, they're very high-performing, but they can't turn that team around. However... There have been teams that literally don't go for just the big name, the marquee player, but they look for someone that is completely aligned with their brand foundation, their, their core value foundation. And that one fish, adding that one fish to the aquarium can make that aquarium thrive because they are aligned with that brand. You know, okay, I'm, I'm switching from sports to fish, but I, I, I hope you're following I where I think I'm going. In, internally a 
company, one of the companies I worked with for a long time, they've grown bigger. They're going over the 50 to 100 staff. And when you get to that point, you need your brand values almost advertised to your staff. You Absolutely. need to bring it. It's having that strength. I've loved watching and working with them, bringing that leadership team up and those people from the floor up. And, you know, seeing those boys over 12 years now are leading departments. And as a company, yeah, with management, we've worked on really almost like, well, it's like you're internally advertising to bring that team spirit and to bring them together. What can we do? So they're proud of working here and then they're giving you know, they want to stay here. It's expensive as a business owner for staff to keep coming in and out. I've got to train someone. I've got to look for someone new. So you want to build those, especially I think when you're larger, you need almost that internal branding. Your message has to be strong throughout everyone who's working. Because as you say, you have someone loose who's not standing by your company, they can really damage your brand a lot. The internal workings of your brand and externally, if they start loose, not treating customers correctly. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything-is-media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy said, this is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to amazon.com and search nonfiction brand and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. One of the stories I'll often tell when I do presentations, I, I kind of illustrate the value of having a brand by showing a brand that was destroyed, but it was completely aligned as a brand. And that brand is Uber, right? Back in the days of Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, very sharp elbows, you know, very forgiveness, not permission oriented culture. Go, 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 go violate regulations left, right, and center, but go, go, go. And that's true disruption. And for the longest time, he was kind of like the prince of disruption, right? Well, then he got into trouble and overnight, a video went up on social media, that powerful group of channels, and it showed him berating one of his drivers. And that company shed $3 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars worth of market capitalization in 24 hours because the CEO of the company blew it up. But here's the thing that I make the point about. Travis Kalanick was the brand. Uber followed his example, so much so that the day after he was let go by the board of directors of Uber, something like 2,000 Uber associates signed a petition to get him reinstated. What they were saying is, he is the brand. We want to be like that. And the board of directors, I think very rightly said, that's great, we can't be that brand anymore. Why? Because more than 50% of the people who take our rideshare rides are female. And a rough 
slightly misogynistic brand is not going to allow us to grow. We need to clean ourselves up. So what did they do? They brought in some very high profile, highly qualified female executives and made a very public show of trying to turn that brand around. That is the power of brand. When the CEO of the company is not creating a brand that can thrive, scale, and sustain itself, something has to be done. In this case, kick the founder out of the company. They did them. I think one of the things with them, they got curious too. I, I've actually seen the lady speak who was on the team, the design team for the Uber logo. And wow, they had a lot of fun. They traveled everywhere asking questions. How is this working in India? trialing different things to really, even though it's a very simplistic logo, to get that brand value, to find out it's not about the logo. It was like, how are we going to work for people? How does it work in this country? What do they want? You're talking about the logo that came after the Travis Kalanick logo, which was, what the heck is that? Is that, uh, uh, I can't even, I don't even know what it is. It started out as a big U for Uber. So you see a big U on a car. That's an Uber. Got it. Then it came out this circular thing that looked almost like a a circuit board or something with a square in the middle of it. What is it? And then it came back to a very clean, modern typeface, slate gray, charcoal. It's, It's kind of a, not a silver, but a, not a metallic, but anyway, it's simple, modern, clean almost like Armani in styling, you know, classic, but modern. Great combination. And that's why you need to hire designers. You know, when you were saying in the first episode last week that you study fonts and typography, I'm like, oh my God, I love that. Because I'm like, okay, do you remember the movie Amadeus or the play by Peter Schaffer, Amadeus? At the end of the first act, Salieri is the court composer for the emperor of Austria or whatever. And Mozart, this little upstart, comes in and Salieri had created this piece for him that was... Mozart heard it once, sat down at the clavichord and started doing variations on it. And Salieri's mouth just dropped open and he, at the end of the play, at the end of the first act, he curses God. Because God gave him the understanding of what greatness was, but not the talent to achieve it. I am the Salieri of fonts and typography. I can recognize good stuff, but I can not create it myself. That's why uh, I'm proud to say I'm a writer. For you, Magic, I think like Kate, when you did the interview with her, both of you, the words you use and the language, it's a pleasure to listen to. And that, I believe, is just as creative as what I do. Well, and it that's is. that's why I love collaborating with, I work a lot with copywriters. They come straight on board day one of branding. Before I've done anything, when I'm researching, they're researching. And I love the gel of the way you research and how I research. And then I'm like, whoa, look at this. Now it's exploding because we have those two different directions. Exactly. There's no point bringing them in when I get to website stage. If I've brought them in at the beginning, we're all on the same page. Writing the website's easy. We're all moving forward. And you get excited because as a writer, I'll go, I think this is kind of okay, but give it to a designer. And then they do something with a headline and just turn it from, I thought that was kind of a clever play on words, you know, and what they did with it typographically just makes it sing. 
it's like hallelujah and and then it's it's that that excitement engine starts roaring and that's because you again i'm trying to turn this back to the the whole subject of the podcast that's because i know my greatest talent is verbal i'm not too shabby when it comes to recognizing talent on the design side and i can kind of do a little bit myself just enough to be dangerous but graphic design is one of the things that I will always want to find someone who's better than me at it to do it. The other thing is like video editing. Editing, that is such a taste-oriented thing. You know, there's a reason that Thelma Schoonmaker has more Oscars for editing Martin Scorsese films than Martin Scorsese has. Because she is one heck of an editor. You mentioned the fact that having owned a business is very appealing. If I asked you to pick three words that are pillar, foundation, words or phrases that describe you as a brand in a way that would communicate your, the majority of your value to a potential client, what would those three words or phrases be? As a personal brand, I would say their kindness, curiosity and fun. That as my personal there, I've realized my most important values in life. I like to have fun. And when I asked other people who I just put it out there, please describe me, that was in every description that came back to me. You're fun. And I also think that's why people like working with me. Even in Burning Love Creative, I try to find positivity in most, like enjoy the job while we're doing it. Even if I'm mopping the floors, we'll let's sing and maybe dance with the mop if we need to. Like I will put in good energy, whatever I'm doing. So I think that's that positive optimism would be also what people would like as part of my brand. How difficult is that for you to demonstrate in everything you do, including things like posts online? Do you find it a task or is it, no, I'm just being myself? I'm just being myself. That's exactly what it should that's be. Right, that's just me. It's like, this shouldn't be hard, especially personal branding. That's why when people are like, I'm like, well, with personal branding, it's not like I'm looking as a, when I'm branding for a business, I'm looking who their customers are and what do their customers like? What do they do? And with a personal brand, you're like, you only have to look at yourself and then let's move on. Like you said, most people don't really, they're not a hundred percent sure of themselves. You have to know those weaknesses as well, I think, and recognize them and accept them. Cause like you said, there's Lots of people who aren't going to like them. Yeah. You'll find this out when you read the book. And thank you, by the way, very much for ordering that book and getting it all the way down to the Antipodes. It's really nice as an author to have another continent exposed to my virus. And you'll learn very early in the book where I talk about Tom Peters, the American thought leader, business dude. I mean, he's just amazing. He came up with the idea or first promulgated it or wrote about it in 1997. I know that because I saw the article in 1997 in Fast Company Magazine. It was an article called A Brand Called You. You can still read it today by going to the fastcompany.com website and look up A Brand Called You. It's well worth reading. And he presented the idea of personal branding not as some type of self-inflation thing or, you know, kind of narcissistic technique or something like that. He just brought up the point that it's important for people to self-package themselves in a way that people can understand why they should engage with you. Everything about the book is based on that idea about that self-packaging. And I actually, you know, Wikipedia, the definitions change all the time. 
The one I pulled from 2018, I love because it really highlights the idea of that unlike self-improvement, this is not about self-improvement, it's about self-packaging. How do you package yourself so that people can understand your best qualities, the truth about who you are, what you do, and how you do it? And I think that's incredibly important. And by the way, just like you said about yours, when you do it, it's not hard because you are exactly who you are and you are being it. But here's the thing. You have to know who you truly are so you can be it. Now, earlier, I think in the previous week's episode, you mentioned the fact that you went to London when you were a silly girl because you thought you were going to get married. That was a recognition that at age 19, you did not know who Lisa Gallia was. And I, I see you violently <laughs> shaking your head right now. And can you talk to me about that? What is the difference between the Lisa of today versus Lisa of 19 in London? Well, I think we're constantly evolving. Our brain is changing from every interaction we have in the world. And 30 years on, definitely those interactions have molded, you know, I don't think really much negative had happened in my life by the time I was 19. I was very lucky. I traveled around with my family and, you know, I'd had a good life. There was nothing major dramas. But then when you get into the real world, it's not all Walt Disney. There is dragons and well, that is Walt Disney. You got to go through those paths of being strong. And I think seeing those, I've never experienced mean people in the world. Really being mean to me, I think I'm probably quite likable. But seeing that through my daughter and experience it almost myself has definitely changed who I am as a person. Well, let me ask you this. Going back to the three words you talked about, which were kind, fun, and what was the, the middle one? Curious. Curious. Okay. Was 19-year-old Lisa, kind, curious, and fun. Yes. I'm 100% yes, I was. Okay, Those that's... Those are my true values, probably. That's why. That's my true the values. point. That's the point that I want to make about it. It's like, you know how you can take any chemical compound and break it down to the elements, and those elements cannot be broken down further? That's the level of thinking you need to do about yourself to come down to the immutable truths and facts and elements about yourself that will not change. My three words, creative, collaborative, provocative. I've always known I had to be creative, even when I wanted to be a scientist, but I couldn't do the math. Oh, I'm good at math. Oh, I'm terrible at math. So <laughs> guess what? If you don't speak math, you can't do science, but I love the creative aspects of it. The collaborative part, that came harder because I wanted everything to be mine until I realized that, no, I can get things to a certain level, but collaboration can always make it better, can always make it greater. And while I always wanted to be that little kid coming home from school with a picture that mom puts up on the fridge, I still want that. But I recognize if I really want my mom or the mom in my head to put it up on the fridge, I need to work with someone who's better at typography than me and has better color taste, stuff like that. So I better be collaborative. And then the third one, provocative, ah, th this is the part where I've accepted something in myself, which is, wait, wait, I didn't mean to insult you. I, I, I was just trying. I was excited. I wasn't angry. I, I didn't mean to scare you. And sometimes that kind of puppy provocation comes out that, come on, I, but that's my value to people, which is I'm at least provoking you to get out of your mental frame long enough to take a look back and go, wow, that scares me. 
but we could and we should do it. So, and, and that's my value to people when they work with me is you're not going to get what you asked for. Well, I, I no, I, I take that back. I will show you what you asked for. And then I'll show you something that'll make what you asked for an afterthought. Because the second you see this idea, you're going to go, wow. One, you collaborated with me enough to make me feel like I've got ownership in it. Therefore, I feel like I've participated. Therefore, I like it. I'm, I'm pretending to be a client right now. <laughs> and that, by the way, killer ninja trick, you want people to buy great creative? Invite them into the process. Take their idea and sharpen it and polish it and keep it in. But maybe it's not the central part of it. Doesn't matter. If they've got their fingerprint on it, they love that idea because it's partially theirs. And by the way, a month down the road, it's 100% their idea, which is fine with me. Exactly. I'm not attached. I'm here to make people shine. That's what I feel I've done with my business. I think it's interesting. Sometimes our biggest strengths are also our weaknesses. Yeah. You know, they can flip when you, you know, sometimes I'm a bit too curious. I do upset people with questions. That's, you know, that's what I like to do. Sometimes maybe I shouldn't be so fun. I would have, you know, I've got to accept I'm not the best at doing repetitive tasks. So you can't always have fun, Lisa. But it's also one of my strengths. So it's a balance, definitely. But that's the essence of self-awareness. You're aware of not only what you're good at, but what you're bad at, what you're, yeah. what you really don't care about. Like the fact that I'm not a big fan of social media has made me reassess what I do because I started to want to be like other people. I hate to say this, but I started doing it. Like finding people that I wanted to be like, not in, I'm not talking stylistically. I'm like, I should have a business like Jay Bear, who is a, a big guy here in the United States and how he does stuff. Cause I want to do speaking. Yes, I still want to do that. But the idea of like doing courses, I thought oh, I should do some courses, create my own courses, let people buy them, do the whole Amy Porterfield selling, launching stuff, the Kate Toon stuff, build my own mini empire and all that stuff. Guess what? You didn't really stick because it's not me. Exactly. I had the same when I met Kate. I think I was at a conference. She spoke. We met in a dodgy pub. We're both like you, been in the same industry. We went off, had a great night together. And I was like, I need to be like that. I should be making courses. Look what she's doing. You know, she's not writing anymore. And then I've like watched her journey and been part with her journey. And that more and more, and more I don't want to do that. Like there's yeah. no way I would be passionate to a group that she's amazing what she gives to the group, but it's definitely, I'm not up for that. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to do that long-term repetitively. So you got to find what makes you happy each day and what you enjoy doing. And I believe also is our job, ask customers that, because that's actually how they have successful businesses. Yeah, exactly. It all comes back to knowing deeply, not only who you are as a service provider, but the depth of the truth of the clients you serve. So you can really tell their true stories via type, via color, via copy, via experience, via every touch point that you can affect as a collaborator of theirs. You know, I love to say a brand is everything from your CEO's public behavior to the way you answer your phones. 100%. And it's true. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation and I really like meeting you. You know, Lisa is one of those people who I got to know through the inimitable Kate Toon of Sydney, Australia. 
who is a big friend of mine. And when you talked about meeting her in a dodgy pub, I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. Because <laughs> that's exactly how we met. Well, it wasn't a dodgy pub, but it was still drinks were being served and it was an instant, I get you. I get the depth of you. She was giving me crap in about 30 seconds. And I'm like, any woman who feels comfortable doing that, I like. And Lisa, evidently you're of that same stripe. You've got that DNA. So it's been a treat getting to know you a little bit better. I want to let others who might be listening to the podcast know how they can contact you if they were interested in engaging with you. What is the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch is just shoot me a DM in Instagram at the Lisa Gallia, or you can contact me through my website, lisagallia.com. But Instagram is where I'm there. If you want to shoot me a quick line, I'm happy to chat and just get social. Now, there you go. And Gallia is spelled G-A-L-E-A. So definitely check her out. Well, that's it for this week's Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I, of course, am DP Knutton, and she is Lisa Gallia. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye.